I own a car. I own a 2003 Ford Focus ZX3 two-door hatchback. I own a white Hyundai Accent. It's got this weird attempt at being aerodynamic with still has edges. I feel like a lot of cars are starting to do that nowadays where they somewhere between a box and a circle. I really actually do enjoy the aesthetics of classic cars, which was sort of a funny thing because like, especially in this militant environmentalism, it's like, oh yeah, actually those cars sort of look like they have more curves, they're more intricate, there's more things going on with them. I do like a lot of classic cars more than I like the cars that I see now. It's hard for me to tell if that's because they're classic by definition or because they're actually better looking. When having this conversation with somebody, they said, well, yeah, they started designing cars to look like potatoes. And I just love that. <laughs> love that analogy. And it's like, oh, that's why they look so ugly. It's because they're designed to look like potatoes for aerodynamic stability. From Outface Productions, this is Listening Glass. So, Robin, question for you today. Hit me. What car do you drive? Oh, okay. Uh, I drive a 2002 Volkswagen Golf. Mm, okay. Not the, like, GTI version. It's, like, the just gasoline basic version. What color is it? Gray. Gray. Yeah. It's kind of a silvery gray, though, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So, why did you choose that car? Why? Yeah. Okay. So, this... I didn't have a car for a while because my old 97 Honda Accord got jacked. And like most cars have just kind of fallen into my lap. And this one, I actually took my time shopping around for and wanted to choose one that I felt just kind of connected to and not maybe just not repulsed by. (laughs) Okay. Okay. That was like my main criteria. And also I wanted a stick shift, right? I just really like that engaged experience of, of a manual transmission. Mm-hmm. I just feel like a couch potato if I'm driving an automatic. Like <laughs> <laughs> Just driving a comfy chair. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like I just have this like recliner that moves along the road by itself, basically. Yeah. And I didn't like that feeling. Also, it's a very small, compact car, but kind of a little stylish. Right. And it has this very, it's a European car, but it also has a very like European feel to me. Yeah. Which I enjoy. It felt like my size. There's a couple, like my size, manual transmission. I, I'm not crazy about the silver color or the, the hubcaps. Mm. Like there's a couple of design things I'm not really into about it, but it just kind of felt like it fit me. Yeah. Yeah. When, when you say your size, describe what that means exactly. So I'm a like small framed dude. Mm. And sometimes when i get into a car i feel like i'm swimming in its seats like i could like fit two of me on a seat like if i got into a big suv Mm. um or like even some modern sedans i might feel that way in um and you know cars have grown over the years to accommodate growing bodies Mm -hmm. really and and to accommodate americans who tend to be you know bigger than than say the average person in the asian market at yeah. least historically so yeah size i just mean like i i look at it and it looks small but it i'm also just a little bit on the small side of the spectrum i would say and yeah so that's what i mean it's just kind of like a nice snug fit yeah you know huh. if i have like a big friend who's coming with me somewhere i might be self-conscious about like 
how they would feel in it but for mm-hmm. me it works mm-hmm. yeah that's it's interesting because you know so many cars are designed to fit and or appeal to the broadest range of people mm, right so many things are they actually. are exactly yeah. it's mm-hmm. true and so but it is you're right you see these variations you know like with suvs being on the larger side or some trucks right and then mm-hmm. and then yeah you have these kind of smaller sportier they call them <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. a i feel like sporty is kind of a um euphemism for small these days okay sure <laughs> yeah but the, so they have these smaller cars that are also more efficient and whatever Mm -hmm. it's interesting to imagine like if you were a very large-bodied person who also really cared about efficiency Mm -hmm. you you might actually have a hard time totally finding a vehicle that was yeah you know yeah you're right though efficiency that was something i thought of gas mileage i always buy older cars too and if i could have found an older car that was a hybrid that was still good looking or yeah. an electronic car, which those are still really new. You can't really find an old electric car. That's true. Right now. Yeah. Um, and I imagine even the used ones are expensive mm-hmm. too. The car that I drive is a 2002 Camry, mm. which is basically like the world's boringest car. Yeah. It's just like there's no. <laughs> There's just nothing particularly <laughs> remarkable about it. It's, it's probably like the one of the best-selling cars of that year. Actually, the Volkswagen Golf was too. Oh, really? Yeah. Was it? So we basically yeah. have like two of the best-selling, <laughs> like most common cars from that year. Yeah. When I think about like a car that just checks the most normal boxes imaginable, mm-hmm. the Camry just fits it. The shape is inoffensive. The color's inoffensive. It's kind of like a boring red. Mm-hmm. It's not like a sporty red. It's, yeah. you know, it's kind of like a darker, like wine colored yeah. red. When I, when I first got the Golf, my friend Matt was like, oh yeah, that's kind of a dad car, isn't it? And I was so like surprisingly offended when he said that. I was like, no, it's not a dad car. This is a the cool guy car, man. Like, what are you talking about? You don't know anything. I just, I just kind of like stuffed it and was like, he'll see, he'll see. When he saw it, he was like, oh, it's actually kind of cool. But the Camry... That is a dad car. <laughs> well, and you want to know the you want to know the real joke of it? Huh. My dad gave it. Yeah, to me. exactly, exactly, exactly. So, mm-hmm. yep, I, guilty as charged. Mm-hmm. I am literally driving my dad's car. It's like this. It has no pretense. It's like no. I am a down to earth, straightforward, practical guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's interesting to me what our cars say about us. Mm-hmm. And the topic of today's show is I actually want to talk about car design and answer this question, are cars getting uglier? So, you know, I just wanted to start off by examining what you and I, like the choices that we've made around cars. And already you can start to see that there is kind of a broad range of factors that go into picking a car. You want something that doesn't look ugly to you. You want something that isn't going to send the wrong signals, whatever you think they are, right? And those are kind of maybe the first criteria that you might choose. And then from there, you're looking at size, efficiency, storage capacity, features. I just want to point out that having that conversation, the step you have to take to even get there is to kind of buy into and be a part of car culture Mm, in the first place, right? And which isn't something I always felt like I had. Mm -hmm. And I still have some reservations 
where I don't know if I'd be like a card carrying member, but here we are doing a podcast about cars. So maybe I am. <laughs> <laughs> Which again, yeah, is kind of ironic because anyone who's known me for a while would kind of laugh to, to hear that I actually chose this as a topic. Exactly. Like, and I want to unpack that a little bit. Yeah. Because I think growing up, you know, and we're in our early 30s now. So like just being a young adult, I always kind of saw myself as not being materialistic, especially about cars. I've always mm-hmm. been a bicyclist and mm-hmm. I commute by bike most of the time. And the idea of caring about a car, I really didn't like. Like it, maybe it's the like hipster culture in me or something mm, where like okay. it's not that cool to care about your car, right? And I kind of like that ethic. Yeah. There's things I like about it. I think the signals you were talking about, like what do cars signify about us? It's fun to have things be personal and that's kind of what it comes down to. I think where I get rubbed the wrong way is where they become status symbols. Yeah. I think your car can still say something about you without being a status symbol, depending on what car you have. It's really hard to buy a like a new BMW without it being a status symbol, right? <laughs> right, totally. So that's where it like gets a little cringy for me. But I just wanted to note that like it's a new leaf for me to care about the like I looked around yeah. at cars for a long time before I chose the golf and it was just kind of a good deal too, but it like felt like a good fit. And usually I, I would just kind of look at it like meh, like has to be cheap and it has to work. Yeah. So the identity, like having it tie into my identity was kind of a new I'm like donning a new new hat with that i guess or donning a new like part of my identity having it connected yeah mm-hmm. like a new accessory to my like identity and how i appear mm-hmm. well yeah i mean it, it is interesting like um when i think about cars they kind of remind me of clothes yeah where even if you want your clothes to be a non-choice or even if you want your clothes to look neutral even that says something about you yes. and people will extrapolate based on that. So yeah, that that really interested me and the particular topic of what people think of as an ugly car. This question really interested me because I think it plugs into one of my broader curiosities which is why do aesthetics change over time? Mm-hmm. It's come up repeatedly for me on this show already mm-hmm. and so I really wanted to dive into it today and just do a little dissection, you know, like see if we can get a little bit more deeply into the human psyche and also the cultural psyche and the Mm -hmm. reasons why car design has changed over time. Why they've changed and why they matter to us too. Exactly. Yeah. Because when you start talking with people about this, you get these surprisingly vehement Mm -hmm. attitudes. Yeah. I think I'm surprisingly like judgmental now about like the cars that people drive. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) It's like I'm not proud of it, but unless there it they is. like really don't care, then I'm like I respect that. Yeah, I still respect that. Yeah, but if it's like they chose an ugly car, or like a really flashy car, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, noted. Well, I wanted to point out something funny, which is that um, you know you and I are millennials, mm-hmm. and there's been this recent millennial trend actually of buying cars that are semi-modern. A lot of people don't actually want to buy a really old car and cheap mm-hmm. and so a lot of modern cheap cars are actually some of the uglier cars mm-hmm. like i was reading this article which was saying the pontiac aztec which is widely regarded as one of the ugliest cars ever made yeah is also one of the most popular cars on the used market for millennials mm-hmm. and there's that kind of irony don't give a fuck 
kind of attitude.、Mm-hmm. So I think that car is kind of the cultural equivalent of like the dad sweater、mm-hmm. or like hipsters wearing these like silly handlebar mustaches or something. It's kind of like I don't really care what I look like, but when I do, I'll choose something that I think is funny or ironic. Yeah, it seems like a really practical car to、mm-hmm. me, and I don't really know anything about its quality, if it's durable and reliable and all of that. But if I found out that it were, I could see it being like a plausible choice. Just being kind of an outdoorsy person, like oh,、mm-hmm. I mean, if it's cheap and it does the things I want, then awesome. I did just look at some pictures of it today, and it was uglier than I remembered it being. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just one of these things where, like, one of the classic litmus tests is if I pull up on a first date. Oh, totally. Do I feel ashamed to pick somebody up in this car? Yeah. Like, if you had it, one of them. It really depends on the date, <laughs> you know? Because there's、yeah. some some people I'd go on dates with who are like, "Oh, cool, this guy doesn't give a shit about cars," and I、right. like that, right? And、yeah. there's other people who are a little more into it who would totally kind of like.、Eh. Cringe a little. Let's give you another scenario. Let's advance you five or ten years forward in your career, and let's say you pull up to like some convention with maybe like some people you'd actually like to work with, or maybe you go to like a company party、right. with some company,、Dude. and you're really like want to get in with these people. I'm glad you brought this example up. Actually, <laughs> I've been daydreaming about this exact kind of not this exact scenario per se, but、yeah. the. Hypothetical, I've had in my mind. I'm a twin, so we could do a twin study.、Oh, let's,、cool. let's just say there's like one version of me who's like in the same career and doing the same stuff, same ambitions, and the only thing that's different about us, like we have the same skills and abilities and background, is that he drives a Porsche and、Ooh. I drive like my my Golf, right? Yeah. Does that have a big enough influence on the way people perceive me and my? Status and my competency and my ability, but my overall status, right? I、yeah. think is the main like measure where people would see me as worthy of getting more opportunity because that's in a lot of ways what it comes down to is、yeah. you're networking and people are trying to assess what sorts of attention you're worthy of, what sorts of opportunity you're worthy of, and then cars I think do factor into it. My my guess would be that for some people. They would see, oh, you know, this guy is accomplished. You know, he's driving a Porsche nine eleven or whatever. Says something. So I would guess that it would make a difference. It's funny though because it might also. There's a certain crowd, and I like like I don't actually know what Steve Jobs drove, right? But Steve Jobs is kind of a classic example of like wealthy Silicon Valley dude who wears like black jeans and a t-shirt, right?、Mm-hmm. So it makes me wonder if there are certain people out there who might even be in like a higher aspirational bracket who would look at your posh and just go like, "Oh, this guy must be a blowhard," right? Okay, totally. So <laughs> unless you're like. Explicitly, like a car enthusiast, right?、Yeah. Like Jay Leno is a really famous, accomplished person who's also a car enthusiast who has、like、extremely fancy cars. Yeah, I know this from YouTube. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, so like he owns like ridiculous cars, but he's a nerd about cars, so it's、mm-hmm. like fine. It's yeah, it's like his thing. Yeah, but I think there's like this point where if you're recognized and accomplished enough. You might get extra points for driving a modest car. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No. Exactly. I was. I'm trying to remember.、Um, who's that famous investor? 
Warren Buffett mm -hmm. is like famous for driving like, you know, whatever car he bought in <laughs> 1988 or whatever mm -hmm. and like not upgrading right? i love that yeah exactly and it's there's this kind of proletarian or kind of like all american grassroots feeling around that which or, 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 and it doesn't necessarily have to be an american thing i think you see this in other cultures too but where someone has the means and they still choose modesty right yeah. i think what's cool is that it shows that they don't need to impress you they don't need mm. frills how about yeah to impress you. They think that their work, their history, the way that they work in their profession or whatever relevant arena we're talking about should speak for itself. Yeah. Which is, I respect that. And that might apply to people of all like brackets too, right? Including our own. And I think I actually feel that way about you a little bit with your Camry. You're just like, meh, like you could afford a better car. Right? Yeah. And like, I respect that you don't feel like you need to like impress anyone. And I like that <laughs> ethic. I like that. Mm. Mm -hmm. Thanks, man. Yeah. I don't feel impressive either, which is, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's kind of interesting for me to unpack is that I don't, not only do I not want to impress anyone, but I don't even know how I would go about it. Okay. <laughs> if, if I was trying to, you know. All right, so Robin, I want to pivot to the central, one of the central questions of this show, which is, what is your nomination for the ugliest car ever? Oh, gosh. I had a feeling you were going to ask me this one, and I have to apologize in advance to my mother because she actually owned one of these. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry, Mom. But it's the PT Cruiser. Oh, I'm so with you. <laughs> I can't stand it. It's my candidate for the ugliest common car. So okay. I think there are, there's definitely other cars out there that are uglier. It's the ugliest car with a household name, I suppose. Yeah. And I'm trying to figure out what they're trying to go for with the car. And it's got this kind of old hot rod look. Mm -hmm. But they somehow made it like hot rod should scream sexy and like muscular and performant. And mm. there's something that just yells like golf grandpa about this car. <laughs> You know, you know what stood out to me when mm. I really got into it is that it looks like a sports car crossed with a hearse. Because mm. <laughs> it's got that kind of extended back end, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which yeah. you only really see on hearses. Right. It does seem like it gets taller toward the back, too, it does. for some reason. Exactly. Which I just don't get. There's a lot of rounding in cars these mm. days. And it's too rounded and smooth looking for such a boxy car i find if yeah they, if they went with the boxier look it's in the the headlights too headlights are so important they are it's like the eyes of the car the face of the car the really. face yeah. yeah and it's a classic example and my car is guilty of this too my golf where it's got these kind of like rounded soft just like really bland mm -hmm. looking eyes and headlights on the golf they look like jelly beans you know it's just like eh, like yeah. I don't know. They're, mine aren't too bad, but I think it's just really important to have not like blase looking face on a car. Yeah. No, mm -hmm. it is something that automakers think a lot about. Mm -hmm. How about you, man? Well, yeah. So PT Cruiser was on my short list, but the car that I really detest above all others is the Chevy SSR. Oh, good. I'm so, so glad you picked that one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, these cars, the moment I saw them, it just epitomized everything about car design that I hate. Yeah. I mean, for starters, I think 
Okay, I feel like there's this hole in the market that no one wanted filled, or at mm -hmm. least I don't really know exactly what it is, but it's like the hyper compact pickup truck. Mm. And it's basically like if you took a sedan and then put like half of a pickup bed on the back of it, that's mm -hmm. what they're trying to do. And is it a two seater? Is that what's going on? Yeah, I think it is a two seater. So it's basically yeah. a truck sedan. Oh man. You know what's funny is I look at it and it's like, this is almost a cool design. <laughs> and then Almost. there's like a few critical wrong turns that they took with it well and i think kind of what you were talking about like it's not just that it has curves but the particular curvature of it mm -hmm. is like hyper ugly mm -hmm. there's something about it that manages to be bulbous and i think that the small size of the passenger part of the car in relation to the rest of the car makes mm. the rest it, it's almost comical mm -hmm. it looks like you took a really tiny compact car and then stuck a larger <laughs> yeah. car on it but then it's a mini pickup truck <laughs> so it's kind of like you took a chihuahua dog head and you put it on a beagle body or something like wow. that <laughs> yeah it does have this like really mini cabin it looks like it should take up 50% more space. And someone just like went into the design program and just like selected the corner of the cabin and just like shrunk like it, like dragged it in. Like <laughs> Totally. I mean, we've complained about curves and roundness a couple of times. And mm. that is something that bothers me about this one a little bit. But it's funny because from an efficiency standpoint, it makes sense. Like if you throw this thing in a wind tunnel, mm. the ability for it to push through air without a lot of resistance is mm -hmm. definitely helped by that smooth rounded design. And I feel like if, if more cars were boxier now and we were seeing our miles per gallon, not improving as it should over time, mm. I might be complaining about like the stupid boxy non-aerodynamic shape. Yet yeah. I find cars with crisp corners, especially at the front end, mm -hmm. much more appealing. Yeah, I would agree. And this one is, really you know kind of epitomizes this like smooth rounded nose that just gives it a really weak appearance <laughs> yeah i think weak, weak is a good way to describe it yeah in conclusion that the chevy ssr for me is just a fail across the board like whatever happened to the old chevy like chevy 57 like cars used to have these fins and stuff like yeah. cars used to have this really aquatic look well so robin it's cool that you brought that up actually uh -huh. because the next place i wanted to go was i just wanted to do a brief overview of the history of car design okay so why don't we get into that yeah what we're gonna do is um i have a little i'll put this in the show notes too but little cool article that I was reading called The History of Car Design. So way back to the very basics, the combustion engine's been around a couple hundred years now. The first kind of uh, motorized cars that we saw driving around were in Europe, and it was around the beginning of the 1800s. Mm -hmm. And for about a hundred years, there were these various designs that were all iterations on the carriage. Right. And so it was basically like people taking carriages, sticking combustion engines in them, and a lot of them were made of wood. And you just saw these kind of various designs for pretty much exactly 100 years, mm -hmm. from about 1807 to 1908. Mm -hmm. There was this, a, bunch of, a bunch of cars, none of which were particularly iconic, mm -hmm. a lot of different designs. Yeah, you have one pulled up here on the computer that it looks a lot like a carriage 
but the wheelbase is very car looking very tall wheels compared to today's cars and and they still kind of resemble like a horse cart but it looks like they might have some rubber yeah and then the driver sits super high and there's an open cabin and these like bench seats the term horseless carriage like comes to mind no, you, you really summed it up. Yeah. And I want to highlight the open carriage aspect of mm. it because very few cars before the 20th century had this mm. enclosure to them. You just bring your umbrella. Exactly. Well, and, and I think it, it points to the fact that cars weren't moving very quickly right. as well. Yeah. You know, they weren't hitting 60 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the reasons for that is that paved roads weren't as commonplace back in the 19th century as they are today. Mm. And even when they were paved, it wasn't tarmac. You know, they didn't have these concrete flatteners either, right? And so even a paved road back in the day was kind of a bumpy ride. Mm -hmm. And if you were to drive a car any faster than, I don't know, 20 or 30 miles an hour, especially without suspension, Mm -hmm. I mean, it just would have been a jarring time. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great point. Yeah. Okay, so now the moment that everyone knows about in the history of car making is that Henry Ford comes along and he basically combines cars with industrialism and invents the Ford Model T. Mm -hmm. And the first one of these shipped in 1908 and they really just set the tone for car design. They were a lot smaller. They took the classic carriage design and just miniaturized it Mm, basically yeah and it was also like i think some of the first cars that were consistently covered had the closed cabin as Mm -hmm. well and now it's interesting because over the course of the model t's design it it did go through a lot of different iterations and it was mostly to do with materials as you know rubbers and metals got better they made various updates to the design which basically Mm -hmm. made it a bit more rugged it's a good looking car it is a good looking car yeah Mm -hmm. they have the boxy front right Mm -hmm. and the headlights are just big and round and stick off to the sides it's like a very simple like nice looking face Mm -hmm. and it still has this kind of carriage wheel thing going on where it's like skinny tall wheels with wooden spokes but rubber tires Wouldn't it be something to see wooden spokes come back? I know. (laughs) I know. Yeah, throwback for sure. Mm -hmm. You know what's interesting, though? I'm looking at this image here. Now, this is a 1923 Model T, which is kind of a convertible, open carriage design. It almost reminds me of a Jeep. Oh, yeah. Can you see that? Yeah, the Wrangler. Yeah, which is like, it's really interesting. There's Mm -hmm. a certain ruggedness to the design. And what it really tells me is just how much of the DNA of the modern car comes Mm -hmm. from the Model T. Yeah, that thing looks so fun to drive, too. I mean, I'm sure it's, like, kind of a rough ride, but maybe not. Those big wheels and, like, it'd it'd be really cool to see a remake, honestly. It would. Uh, Like, that really stays pretty true to the design. Like, those huge fenders, like, the, the gaps there, this thing looks like it could be, like, a Moon Rover right? Totally. It kind of reminds me of the Moon Rover for some reason. Totally. I think it's the Fenders. It's, Mm -hmm. yeah, I felt the same way. I was like, man, if they brought this back in a modern design, people would love it. Mm -hmm. It's so cool. I keep hoping they'll like remake 80s cars, right? Mm. Some of the old boxy 80s cars. Just not, I'm not talking like the muscle cars, right? but just, 
you know, like run of the mill sedans and mm-hmm. like just do a remake. They had some cool things going on in the eighties. Yeah. yeah, so we'll we'll get to that. So let's talk about the twenties here for a second. Now the twenties saw the great lengthening of cars. And think think Cruella DeVille. Okay. That's kind of what we're going for here. And this is partially because they were building bigger engines. So they had these eight-cylinder and 16-cylinder engines, and they basically needed somewhere to put it. And Whoa. so what you saw is they basically just, like, doubled or even tripled the nose wow. of the car. And so they had these these kind of crazy long cars that almost... If you think about it, they almost resemble like some of the F1 races of today. Okay. Right. But I mean, they're not like, they were still looked kind of carriagey, right? Mm -hmm. But they had that much longer, lower Mm -hmm. design and they got a bit wider too. They, you know, they they started putting the wheels further out as Mm -hmm. well. I think the wolf in like Looney Tunes drove something like this. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. That's it. It's like a lot of these old cartoons bring up. You know, it, and it also, it reminds you a little bit of um, like F. Scott Fitzgerald, mm-hmm. right? If you think about any of that, like a great Gatsby car. Were they really fast? It's just crazy to think of that long of an engine packed in there. They were faster. Yeah. They were definitely faster. And it, and it partially coincided with the fact that, you know, like, for example, with the popularity of the Model T and just the greater acceptance of automobiles, more paved roads were mm-hmm. coming about mm-hmm. and so it just it really gave people the red light to make that cars um you know wheels got smaller and it just in general the whole design was was yeah. more compact and we're seeing seeing a metal rim there on yes that one too. exactly mm-hmm. so yeah metals were continuing to get better yeah cruella deville and also paint was getting a lot better so um enamel paint was really catching on and paint designs were simplifying a little bit because, again, you uh, when you have a sleeker design of a car and less body parts, there's just less impetus to paint them different colors, mm. right? So then in the 30s, we saw a continuation of the whole single-piece design of cars. There was this important development called monocoque frames, basically. And so... What that translates to is that the chassis is a single piece of metal. Is that, and the chassis is like the frame. The frame of the the car, Mm -hmm. exactly. And so it really, it simplified a lot of aspects Mm -hmm. of cars and it made them stronger, Mm -hmm. more structurally sound. Mm Mm-hmm. And so there was this continuing trend in integrating more and more parts of the car into one piece. Mm. Which is interesting because something I've noticed is that cars tend to be one color. Yes. Right? Like a lot of design things that are designed have like primary and secondary color. And right. for the most part, cars just have one. Modern cars. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so that was really happening during the 30s mm-hmm. where cars were really just becoming streamlined in every sense of the word. They were rounder, they were smoother, they had more curves to them. Mm-hmm. They were yeah, more likely to be one color. And, I, you know, I really think that a lot of the car designs from the 30s, in my opinion, were just really attractive. They were just kind of like a refinement of everything that had come so far. We were really starting to see glossy paints. We were really starting to see... Things were getting a little sexier. There was more metal. We're starting to see some kind of chromey looking cars. Mm -hmm. 
And another big thing that was happening in the 30s was that cars were really becoming family vehicles. Mm. So the, the middle classes were starting to aspire to have cars. This picture here has like ribbons on it, like it went to the county fair. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> But you can still see the long design. A lot of these 30s cars, the front, the engine is just fully half of the length mm -hmm. of the car, or even more, right? Wow, that is an so elegant looking car. <laughs> yeah, we're looking at a car here where the engine is roughly two thirds of the length mm -hmm. of the entire car. Even like three quarters, but yeah, <laughs> somewhere in there. So yeah, definitely cars continue to be long. Now, in the 1940s, with the coming of World War II, we started to see a big change in just about everything, really. And mm -hmm. cars were no exception. Robin, you were talking about how cars were kind of boaty, started mm -hmm. to look mm -hmm. boaty. Mm -hmm. And so this was really started to happen in the 40s. And people call this as the ponton style, which is French for pontoon. Really? Yeah. And so cars were just getting, they were getting kind of bulbous. They were getting rounder. They were getting shorter mm -hmm. because the engines were just taking up a lot less space. And so what you had is cars that started to look, to have a little bit more of that like rounded slash boxy look that we talk about today. Mm -hmm. Also, this design of having the wheels really kind of integrated into the body of the car instead yeah. of sticking out in their own little yeah we're looking at an example here that is it does have a very rounded look it's kind of a nice looking car but mm -hmm. it doesn't have the same like fins and stuff that i was thinking of that come out in the 50s exactly yeah it really is easy to see how the cars of the 50s issued from the cars of the 40s mm -hmm. an interesting thing about cars in the 40s is that you are really starting to see simpler cars you started to see cars that weren't like trying to win the ribbon every time, mm -hmm. right? These are cars, like for some reason I think of like detective shows. Exactly. Like, like if you watch a movie about the Depression era and there's an FBI agent, like they're driving this kind of thing, dark, rounded, you know, with the big white trim on the tires we're yes. seeing here too. And it's not that they don't look nice. Mm -hmm. It's like they really do. But it's like when you put it next to one of these earlier cars from the 30s or 20s, it's like half as ornate. Exactly. Yeah. There's no, there's not elegance to it. We're starting to look like dad cars now. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yep. Dad cars. The dad car is born. The dad car is born. And just cars that you could see parked on the street that you'd kind of forget about, uh -huh. right? Cars that just kind of blend in to the overall urban landscape. So that's really what you saw in the 40s. And it, I, I really think of this as kind of like the, um, yeah, the decade in which the modern car was designed. So then in the 50s, Robin, like you were talking about, it's like they took that modern car and they amplified it. Mm -hmm. And especially American car makers kind of went nuts cars were getting bigger again they were getting a, a lot wider fins it was just you know chrome there were classics like the chevy corvette and the cadillac eldorado oh no is this when chrome starts coming out oh yeah chrome oh, was no. big in the 50s okay. <laughs> now interestingly though this was also the decade where you started to see some of the first compact and more middle-class car designs mm -hmm that started to emerge in Europe, like the Cooper Mini, 
mm-hmm. was a classic example, or the VW Beetle mm-hmm. was also developed in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And these were cars that were, you know, I mean, Volkswagen translates to like people's car, mm-hmm. right? The car of the people. So there was this movement towards anyone being able to get a car. Mm-hmm. And the corresponding designs were even, you know, even though they look ornate to us today, they were even simpler and they were even smaller and more efficient. Mm-hmm. You know, like the Fiat 500 was another example of just like a, a really normal European yeah. car. Can we just talk about Chrome for a minute? <laughs> Let's talk about Chrome. Um, so Chrome, I read about it recently and it's actually very cool stuff in terms of its properties. Right? It's like a layer of metal that they put on the outside of a metal that would be vulnerable to weather and oxidization mm. to prevent it from rusting and okay. tarnishing. And real Chrome is pretty impressive. I think as a design element, I don't really like it, but if it's, and it's, it's used for protection theoretically, but what happens over time is I, th- I think that was probably real Chrome when we first saw it there in the sixties or fifties or it was fifties, right? That they started to pop up. Yeah. 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 I, I doubt that you saw a completely chromed out car. Right. It was more like just certain ornaments. Yeah. Chrome. Ex- right. Like the trim right. part of the grill, usually the grill border is chrome right the mirrors and that's fine like i don't mind a chrome mirror but when they start doing window trim in chrome i just don't see the point right especially in a modern car where we have plastics i think like a black plastic actually looks a lot better like why draw attention to the window frame yeah you know i don't think it usually does a lot and the other thing that really gets me about it is usually chrome isn't real usually it's a it's a reflective plastic coating that they put on it Right. right, that looks like metal, but and maybe there's even a little bit of metal in it. But at the end of the day, it's just a little coating on plastic to make it look like chrome. Yeah, and you fast forward five, ten years into that car's life, and it gets dented uh, it and chipped and starts <laughs> to peel, and yeah. you start to see this weird yellowy plastic get exposed underneath it. So, like, whenever I see chrome, I see that. And maybe in luxury cars these days, like they're actually using real chrome on those components. But I think for the most part, like a Chevy, a Ford, you know, middle class car is going to have fake stuff that I just see as cheap. That really highlights it is that chrome is is an example of one of these premium things, Mm -hmm. which in the modern era, if you want something to be all real chrome, it's going to be super expensive. Right. But just an example of one of these ways in which people will try to take something cheaper and kind of upscale it mm-hmm. and premiumify it right. by making a cheap version. Yeah, I agree. Chrome is something you, you have to do well. Yeah. You know? don't, don't fake it. Don't fake the chrome. Yeah. Now, okay, now let's talk about the 60s. So the 60s... We saw this shift back away from the pontoon style. And a big part of why that started to happen was that Japan came on the scene mm. in automaking. So, and the, the aesthetic of Japan was all about boxy cars. Mm, and, yes. you know, that I'm sure that that could be the topic of its own podcast. I wish I knew a little bit more about it, but basically, Japanese automakers were digging the boxy designs Mm -hmm. and they also liked smaller squarer cars and so what you started to see 
was um, there were a lot of Japanese imports started to show up in the US and they filled this gap because they were more affordable、mm -hmm. and they were also well made. And、mm -hmm. so, people who wanted a smaller, more efficient, less flashy, less expensive car could actually have a reasonable option.、Mm -hmm. And it's funny because the,、uh, in the US market, there was still some boaty cars being made, but there was also this new emerging trend towards sports cars and cars that were kind of、uh, like muscle cars.、Mm, yes.、Right? Yeah. So, they were built for speed. Which is interesting. I like that you mentioned both of those, right? Because、mm -hmm. there's a difference that I was just thinking about earlier muscle cars and sports cars. But,、mm, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll take us into it. Well, I just think I was looking at some muscle cars earlier today, and literally the way they build the body is usually bulkier, a little bit boxier, just like it looks like it's built out of rectangles, right? Okay. As opposed to a sports car, like take a Porsche. Okay. Much more streamlined. So, would a Camaro be a muscle car? Yes. Okay. Yep. Because it, it has more horizontal lines、right. in it. The way a hood is shaped is really fundamental, right?、Mm. To, the way a car looks. And、mm. if you take the hood from where the windshield, the windshield edge of the hood, and you go to the grill of the car, like whatever curve that is, usually if it slopes down a lot, it has a sporty look. But if it's more flat and horizontal and comes to a corner, it has a more muscly look.、Mm, okay. But also, muscle cars, it never occurred to me till today when I was looking at them. It looks like the way they build the body around the wheel wells and around the hood, it looks, it, the car is like boxy, but it looks like bulging a little、mm, bit、okay. sometimes. Yeah. Especially some of our modern, they're going back to this.、Um, Boxy design, but there's these subtle like bulges in the body、mm -hmm. that make it look like it's trying to hold, it's like holding its own like power. It, it actually looks like muscles to me that are kind of、okay. like bulging through a t shirt or something. I wonder like, I wonder if that's where the name came from.、That's、I don't know. Yeah. It's funny because like sports is like light and fast, and muscles, muscle car is like heavy and fast. Yeah, they're a bit chunkier. But powerful.、Um, right. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, these kind of spoilers are kind of a thing on muscle cars.、Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm, I'm looking at, there's a lot of kind of rectangular faces、mm -hmm. here. It's kind of big rectangular grills on these muscle cars. Yeah. They definitely make a statement, don't they? They have、They're, a front end that is square with the wind. Like it's so it's pushing through. I, I want to say a column of air, but that's not really right.、Mm. But it, it's pushing as the car moves forward, it's pushing into an area of air. And the way that a front of a muscle car, car is, is it's perpendicular to it. Yeah. It just faces it directly. It doesn't, doesn't point its nose down to dive under it. It's just、yeah. grunt. Exactly. It's not so much trying to be aerodynamic as to just be powerful,、mm -hmm. which I love. I love that look. <laughs> <laughs> so, you saw both of these. And so, classic examples like the Ford Mustang、mm -hmm. and also the Chevy Camaro were two muscle cars that were really getting popular. Actually, I've heard these called pony cars as well, which is interesting. That's not a term that I was really familiar with. Now, another cool thing that started showing up in the 60s was metallic paint.、Hmm. And so, they started to put little flecks of metal. In the paints. Like glittery, kind of? Kind of almost more shimmery. Shimmery, okay. Metal flecks, blue and turquoise. Yeah. And, 
Exactly. Yeah. Looking a little um, mermaidy. Okay. Fish scaly, right? <laughs> okay. Now in the seventies, we saw this continuation of boxiness. Boxiness cars just got even more boxy. Mm-hmm. There was a big oil embargo going on in the seventies, and so affordability and efficiency really mm-hmm. came more to the, f- the forefront. You know, you started to see cars like the Ford Pinto become really popular, which are like even American makers were starting to make these really small, efficient, and not particularly sexy kind of like cars. Escort esque. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now it's interesting because while that was happening, there was also we saw some of these kind of extravagant seventies designs with things like uh, like shag carpet in cars mm-hmm. <laughs> started to become a thing. And also vinyl roofs. Hmm. And then also you start to see a maturation of the sports car. Like Porsche just went off in the 70s, mm. basically. They made their 911 car in 39 colors in the 70s. So, yeah, they were really going off. Mm-hmm. In general, even though there are some very big and even boaty cars that were made in the 70s, there was a movement towards further shrinking Mm -hmm. of cars, streamlining them. Now, this Mm -hmm. brings us to the 80s, which, Robin, you were were talking about. So tell me, what is it about 80s cars that you like so much? Mm, They had crisp corners. Even if they weren't boxy, they, they held their edges um, either along the edges of the hood or at the front. And having kind of a square headlight design that faces forward instead of a kind of rounded, slanted headlight that curves back. I guess you see, actually, the Porsche even had... There's different designs, but sometimes those will... In the more modern design, it's like flatter and rounder and slants back, but they make it look good. Yeah, <laughs> they do. I mean, I'm going to just go back to my boxy refrain. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> For the most part, we didn't have all this bubbly, roundy stuff going on yet. I think the 80s did a really good job of of making the box look streamlined and futuristic without making it too weird and curvy, like mm-hmm. modern cars mm-hmm. are. Mm-hmm. You know, there was this real, yeah, there was this economy of design. There was a certain elegance to some of the designs. And even though they looked a little weird and definitely a little alien, even, yeah. Yeah, there was an elegance to the design, which I really like. One car I'm thinking of, it was like a 1986 Honda Accord mm. that my friend had. And it just it was a hatchback design. I loved 80s Hondas. I just mm. really think, like the 90s got a little weird. They were still really small and kind of basic looking, but... There is just something really appealing to me about the particular futurism of the 80s mm-hmm. which i felt really emphasized those qualities mm-hmm. and i you know when i look at these 80s cars it actually to me it makes me think this is like for me the second wave of modern car design when i think about the trends that have dominated mm-hmm. so that felt like that world war ii era i think brought us into the more compact car the kind of the form factor that we're used to these days. And then in the 80s, I think it really brought in these basic tenets of of body design for like your average car. And cars started to have this combination of they were blocky, but they weren't too blocky. 
they were round, but they weren't too round. Yeah, like you were talking about these Japanese automakers、mm-hmm. who were kind of pioneering these simple designs,、mm-hmm. which they got pretty right. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, I don't like German and Japanese cars in this time. Like, look great, and yeah. Meanwhile, Ford and Chevy start to go way、oh, down. They were just flailing. <laughs> <laughs> This show is sponsored by Megan Brandenburg Design, your brand illuminated. Does your project or business need a more cohesive visual identity? Do your marketing materials need pizzazz? Megan is your go-to. She also offers apparel design, product packaging design, and motion graphics. Megan worked with us to design the Listening Glass logo, and we love the stunning result. Megan is on Instagram at Megan Brandenburg Design. Find the full link in the episode description. Let's start talking about 1990s car design. Now, the 90s,、Oof. we both agreed, was kind of a rough. Decade. It's、cars. either like the deepest of the dark ages for car design, or the beginning of, because the aughts feel <laughs> weird too. I think, yeah. But I think they were a little better than the nineties. The nineties are pretty bad. Yes, I agree. So, what made the nineties so bad? I think for me, it was partially that curves came back,、mm-hmm. but not in a good way.、Mm-hmm. I think the nineties as a decade was exemplified by throwbacks. Mm-hmm. It was a really nostalgic decade. It was a decade of trying to dredge up old stuff and recombine it. It's like everyone in car design school at the time was like told that you can't use parallel lines anywhere on the car. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, they just didn't want cars to be square,、mm-hmm. and that was really and and、um, you know I've I've read. Evidence that there was kind of a resurgence of like 30s and 60s cars designed、um, that came back in the 90s, and even there were a lot of these 80s designs that were being updated for the 90s that were still a bit boxy,、mm-hmm. and they just weren't as cool. So it, it's hard to really pin down exactly what was happening in the 90s, but there was a lot of it happening,、mm-hmm. and I think there was a general confusion. There was an aesthetic confusion. Let's think of a car like. The Dodge Neon to me feels、oh, yeah, very. Really it was a very common car. This is the Jelly Bean age. Yes, right. It's、exactly. like it's the like logical end of the like rounded game and design. So I think what we started to see in the '90s was this convergence of car design principles and aesthetics that I think have come to dominate in the modern era. So. Mainly, I think that there was a growing consensus about how to style a car that was a combination of aerodynamic, had some level of aesthetic design to it, the general shape of like a normal kind of middle class car had really consolidated, and I think that. Basically, what time has told us, and I think this continues into the modern era, is that relatively boring designs have turned out to be the ones that endure, which is kind of like a—it's kind of a sad. Well, I wonder. It's funny because we've seen rounded and we've seen boxy, and I'm wondering if it's just like a TikTok cycle,、mm-hmm. right? Where we're just swinging back and forth between like decades focused on one or the other. And every time it's like, finally, cars are back the way they should be designed. And like, we should note <laughs> that like you and I are currently in the middle of. I mean, I I, I don't want to say we're in a boxy phase, because there's so many different 
designs of cars out there right now. Like, I don't feel like one pattern is the overwhelming paradigm at the moment. Well, okay, so I, maybe I, I'm wrong. I would argue otherwise. Yeah. Before we get to the modern era, let's talk about the arts because something that really important that was happening in the arts was that SUVs, I feel like the rise of the SUV was a big thing that happened in the arts. Now, SUVs and kind of family vans and stuff like that was starting to show up in the 90s. Mm. But the 2000s was really the decade of the SUV. Mm. And the SUV did a lot to, I think, uglify the car world. Yeah. Because the SUV, in my opinion, was kind of the worst iteration of boxy. Mm-hmm. I mean, we literally had SUVs having a rollover problem precisely because they were so tall and mm-hmm. boxy. I think SUVs did a lot to set car design back. And another interesting thing that started to happen was that you started to see this emergence of kind of the luxury family car or the luxury SUV. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, rappers driving Escalades right. was a thing that you saw a lot of in the 2000s. Yeah. And so there was this shift away from thinking of sports cars as sexy. I mean, they still are. Yeah. But there was this this kind of landslide shift towards these boxier, more boring, and more family car designs being surprisingly sexy. It kind of it feels like the size race Yes. began. Then. Totally. And I'm looking at historic oil prices <laughs> and they were lowest. I mean, the absolute lowest in the last few decades was around 1997, 98. Oh, that's telling. Yeah. Wow. That's and really telling. They that's were right they were, when SUVs were spiking. Yeah. So people were like, eh, you know, who cares? <laughs> it's just I'm paying a couple extra bucks per tank or something. Yeah. It's not, not a huge deal. Yeah. And then it steadily increases up until about 2008. But we ha- I haven't really noticed. I guess SUVs recently have gotten more compact. We're seeing a lot mm. more of a hybrid design. Agreed. Right? Crossover stuff. But yeah, I feel like there was this race, and especially with like trucks and SUVs, where people needed this sense of safety and security that they felt like was insured by having a bigger car. And I'm not really sure if that even makes sense, right? Because like there's really small cars that get five-star crash test ratings mm-hmm. across the board. So is it really like, is size really going to make you safer? Psychologically, people probably feel more secure, but yeah, at the end of the day, you have these two, 3,000 pound boxes of steel colliding into each other. And like whether or not that car crumples in the right places, whether or not the airbags are deploying in the right places at the right time, probably going to make much more of a difference than how much inertia you have, right? Definitely. Well, and as with any arms race, the problem is that when you're getting bigger and the other people are getting bigger, it's like a lot of your gains are shaved off, right? I mean, if you're in a massive truck and you collide with another massive truck, it's right. just going to be a massive collision. Well, and what's this? You have a more inertia, which sounds great. If you hit someone, you're not going to move as much as they do. If you hit a little car. Yeah. But if you're trying to stop, you know, what's your yes. stopping distance in a 3,000-pound Escalade? I don't know how much they weigh, but, you know, versus a small car. Well, and I think what it points to is there's almost this kind of horrible classist Darwinism going on, mm-hmm. which is something to the effect of if I'm driving a massive car and I slam into a smaller car, 
then I'm going to come out on top. Mm-hmm. Right? right, totally. And so, and then there's this thought of, well, if I slam into another car that's my size, then at least it'll be a fair fight. Right. I don't know if most people are actually going through that thought process consciously, but I think that there's some amount of that. And and I have, I've looked at certain cars and thought, boy, if I was in my car and I rammed into this car head on, the fender would just go straight through my head, mm-hmm. which is kind of a chilling thought, really. Yeah, I'm just looking at the brake distance thing and going at 40 miles an hour, cars take about 124 feet to stop and trucks take about 169 feet. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's a big difference. Mm -hmm. Looking down the street, I just wish that there weren't any cars. Like, it's just such, such a blight on the roadways to see cars everywhere. And even just standing in the middle of the street or walking across the street. It's just a lot of space. Just thinking how much space in the U.S. is taken up by roads and highways. And I just wonder what it would look like, what America would look like, or what any road would look like if it weren't paved over and cemented over. Like, I just think it being so much more beautiful if cars weren't there. Okay, so now let's let's talk about the car design of today. I think we're in an interesting moment because there's a lot of different things going on in the car market at the moment. Hybrids are really big. Electric cars are finally sexy. After struggling to gain market share, the Tesla has mm. really pushed that forward. Mm-hmm. Now, Robin, what do you think about the way the Tesla looks? Mm. Well, there's three models that are in production right now. And the Model S was the first one that came out. And that's the very like luxury model. And I actually really, for the most part, think this looks like a really classy car. But it, mm. it like screams status. Mm. to me and the whole brand tesla of course it has screamed status for quite some time like i remember when i first saw one i was like i felt like i was in a magazine or something (laughs) you know like it was weird it's like whoa people i was in like san francisco or something i was like whoa people have teslas down here that's so weird yeah like people were like talking about it like they were around and it it just felt like so far away to me and then suddenly they were like here and it it just felt like really out of reach Mm. Mm -hmm. too anyway the way that it looks I don't mind the way it looks. I kind of like it. The more I, I didn't really like it that much at first. I thought it looked kind of boring. Yeah. And then the more I learned about the car, the more I was like, oh, I actually really like this car. Mm, okay. <laughs> Which is funny. It's kind of like how I feel about, like, when I learned about natural food. I was like, eh, who cares? And then I learned <laughs> about how awesome it was. And I was like, oh, yeah, natural food is great. Like, I never, I didn't feel boring anymore. It felt exciting. Yeah. That's kind of how I feel about the Tesla. Okay. <laughs> the more I learned about is like safety and speed. Like, these things can outrace Lamborghinis sometimes. Wow. You know, like they're insane. Like, the wow. way they're built is just a totally, it looks like a car, like a normal car. The, the weight of it, the way it sits, its chassis its ability to accelerate like all of it is just like a huge shift from traditional cars right and so yeah it is funny though when you mention how boring it looks that was kind of my initial take when Mm -hmm. i was thinking about the aesthetics of the car was i just thought you know what i almost thought about the tesla was that it seemed to me like if you just if you told an AI to design a modern car, okay, I feel like it okay, would spit okay. out the Tesla. That's probably exactly what happened. <laughs> <laughs> right? 
because it just seems like this amalgamation. You input like 10 luxury cars into the algorithm and it spits out. Well, but the funny thing is like it has a little bit of jelly bean. It has a little bit of family sedan. It mm-hmm. has like a gentle, muscly kind of squareness to right. it. You know, it has a little like that gentle up swoop on the back. Of, of it's a like more dangerously close to being too rounded at yeah. parts, but then it adds a little edge. Like it has these little edges on it. Exactly. That really... It's like on the bottom half of the door, for yeah, example. Yeah, in the front, like the grill has this edge on the top. Right. And then it has this slope that goes up to the hood, which can be really ugly. But since they add that edge that begins it, that squares part of the front of the car off, mm-hmm. then... It really just gives it some stance. As far as the face of the car, I put it in the category of cat-like cars. Mm, it, it really, you sure. know, some cars look like cats, right? Okay. Some cars look like dogs. Yeah. Some cars look like insects. And I, I really think of the Tesla as being a cat car. Sure, I see that. This is one of those cars where I feel like I might like it more in person than in a photograph. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in general, I'm just I'm a little bit unimpressed with the Tesla. I just feel like it lacks identity it's yeah i don't know i i just i feel like the tesla can't quite decide what kind of car it wants to look like this has the x-wing thing going on too. it does where the the doors lift vertically right which has always been synonymous with modern car design yeah i I think we first saw that in the 80s yeah yeah. Which is like, I don't know, just feels kind of gimmicky to me, to be honest. Like, I guess I don't, I don't know if I see the advantage. Yeah. I think they kind of bend when they lift up. So like, it's not like you have to step back three or four feet for the door to open, I don't mm-hmm. think. But I mean, all doors kind of get in the way when you open them. We're just used to like opening the door in a car kind of off to the side and then you slide yeah. it in. Maybe it's even less, you know, in the way than a normal door. I'm not sure. Yeah, it just has a very over-engineered feel to me. Mm. It's probably a lot more expensive to fix. Mm. I mean, that probably just applies to Teslas in general. So we've kind of gone through cars by the decade, and we've spoken a fair amount about modern car design. And what what I want to do here is I want to just try to synthesize some of what we've been talking about. Why do we think that we've ended up with cars that look the way they do today? I think for me, one of the takeaways is that I feel like cars really are so much an amalgamation of everything that has come before them. Mm -hmm. And I feel like anytime people have really substantially deviated from what's normal, outside of a few kind of edge cases where something really took off, Mm -hmm. I feel like cars get punished for being too unique. Yeah. One thing I was thinking about is design is always shifting a little bit. There's always these changes and and kind of iterations Mm -hmm. and permutations on what has been done. And if you push the envelope too far, people aren't ready for it. Yeah. So there's this sort of pace of permutation that our minds find allowable, that our tastes find allowable, um, and that we're kind of ready for. But you have to be primed for design from previous exposure, right? Yeah. And so if somebody jumps too far outside of the box, even if it's employing really strong aesthetic principles, people might not be ready for it, right? It might be, quote unquote, ahead of its time. Mm. And I kind of wonder, like, I feel like concept cars maybe try to do that, where it's like, okay, we're really going to push this, but it's like, you know, they're like over-designed, right, in some ways. And 
I don't know what that means, over design. It's just like, what I mean is it's so outside of the box, but they often look really pretty, but they're often like, how much is that car going to cost? They don't get made, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think a classic example to me of like an over-designed concept car would be the Minority Report car. Do you remember I don't remember this? this. I remember seeing this in the film and just thinking oh, it was so cool. Whoa. It was okay. So sexy. Oh, it's so weird. Yeah. So the Minority Report car, you should look it up, but it's like um What? Oh wait, that's the front. Oh. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I said I was seeing it backwards. I just think it's such a cool design. What? And it's definitely very jelly beanie, but it has a, a very low to the ground. It's low and wide design. Oh, the wheels it looks so fast. Yeah, it does look fast, doesn't it? Yeah. The wheels are massive in relation to the size of the rest of the body. Mm-hmm. It just, it looks futuristic to mm-hmm. me. And if cars went more in this direction, I would really be stoked. Because personally, I think it's a really cool aesthetic. Mm-hmm. I think, though, it's interesting how looking at a car like this really highlights the fact that practicality matters a lot with a car. As sexy as this car is, it's basically got no storage space. That's like a 15-year-old car or something, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. And it looks like futuristic. It still still. looks like the future. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Which kind of highlights how slowly some of these things move along. Well, also, one thing we haven't talked about is cost. Yes, that's true. And design. That's something we see, like, dad cars are just really cheap to make. Yeah. Right? And I don't, I can tell you why, but it's probably, like, you have the unibody thing. Or the, mm-hmm. we, the more things you can do with like a single piece of metal and just yes. have like a couple of seams that are really straightforward where it's very easy to get like all the gaps between stuff and everything lined up and assembled. And I wonder if as we move toward more automated manufacturing processes, which car factories are already rampant with, if we'll be able to make more sophisticated designs on a mass level. Developments in technology always allow for newer, fancier things, right? But they also allow for greater efficiency. So it really is that meeting of demand, efficiency, affordability of manufacture, sometimes competing or conflicting uh, metrics. Yeah, car manufacturers always have to get the dials right Mm. to actually have a design which ends up being profitable Mm. for them. And it's really true that, yeah, car design and manufacture is like one of the more expensive things Mm. in the world. I mean, to bring a car from design to market is just it's just unbelievably right. phenomenally expensive yeah and i think like we haven't seen a new successful car company before tesla new successful american car company in decades yeah right because of that cost exactly. because of how much it takes and you know people are still there's always like doubt like well you know so few car companies have been able to do that and survive and so people are always wondering if tesla will but you know still kicking pretty strong seems like oh yeah well and they've they're doing the innovation thing yeah in a way that others really aren't right just a little rumination exactly on what futuristic means for Mm -hmm. cars i just find it really interesting how a lot of the development right now that we're seeing in cars is really features right so it's really like electric transmissions and self-driving and Mm -hmm. AI and cameras and all of this stuff is really at the forefront of car design. And I think that it's it's not necessarily that aesthetics aren't updating because I think that they are. But it seems like I feel like more than ever, people are buying cars based on features. And mm-hmm. there are just a lot of features now. Hmm. Stuff inside the car. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
how does it drive? You know, like that's how I feel about Tesla is like, I don't think it looks that great, but I bet if I drove one, it'd be like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. The feel is really、mm-hmm. important. And a surprising amount of the look of the car decides the feel as well as the basic geometry.、Mm-hmm. Now, before we wrap up, I just wanted to highlight a few other things. <laughs> First of all, there's a website called uglytruckday.com that has announced that July 20th is the unofficial Ugly Truck Day. Ugly Truck Day. Okay. <laughs> I think this、we、is just. We missed it this year. Yeah, we missed it, unfortunately. But、mm-hmm. this is just a reflection on the fact that a broad sweep of consumers generally feel like trucks are just getting uglier.、Hmm. I think I would agree with that in general. If you just look at your average truck today, They, they seem to really highlight some of the uglier aspects of car design. Yeah. It's funny because they, they're usually boxy. Oh boy. I'm looking at some <laughs> ugly trucks here. Right? The ones that mess it up are the ones that go for the kind of like slopey angled stuff. Yeah. They like shift a little bit too much toward car, right? Like the ugliest trucks are ones that are like going in the car direction. Exactly. Yeah. Either that or they're trying to like raise truck to the third power. And、mm-hmm. it's just too much truck. Yeah. Like these two fur wheel, tall, square monstrosities. Hmm. There's a lot of that going on. Like, especially some of the bigger Chevy trucks. I mean, they just look monstrous.、Mm-hmm. Anyway, any, any parting thoughts, Robin, before we hit the road? Just that maybe the parting thought is I'm wondering if you and I caring more about cars is a mark of. Where we're heading in terms of consumerist culture, slash like materialistic culture, or if it's more of a mark of just you and I and our age,、mm, right?、Mm-hmm. And, you know, is there still a strong contingent of people who don't give a shit about car culture and seeing it as an element of identity in their cars and as an extension of themselves? And it's just interesting seeing like us kind of move in that direction. And I've seen some other friends who are like classic bicyclists and then. Or, like, traditionally, very into bikes and don't really kind of put off by the idea of cars. And then they get a car and they're like, oh, actually, you know, I surprisingly like attached to my car now. Yeah. <laughs> and like they name it and there's like a relationship, which I've never, my Honda was never attached to. I, I mean, the 90s Hondas didn't look that great anyway. I definitely agree. I,、um, I've gotten very used to my car. It's interesting how, yeah, I feel like. In my 30s, I know a lot of previous cyclists who are kind of now rueful car drivers.、Mm. And it is, it's an interesting reflection on age and probably some amounts of economic upward mobility, maybe increased aspirations about wanting to get more furniture home or maybe、sure. you want to take longer trips. Right. Or... I mean, in our college days, it was like you just buy the car you can afford. <laughs> exactly. Like it doesn't behoove you to develop taste. Yeah. Right. You can't, and yeah, most of the time you can't afford it. Yeah. You can't afford taste.、Mm-hmm. It's interesting how economics have always been tied into cars because they are just so expensive.、Mm-hmm. And so, like, for example, these conversations that we're seeing about Asian nations really、um, having these aspirations, these middle class driving aspirations,、mm-hmm. right? I've read these articles about like the Chinese middle class can't start to drive because what would the environmental impact be, right?、Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like a lot of outrage about it.、Mm-hmm. And I think it only serves to highlight the sense of entitlement. 
that Westerners feel, oh, well, we, you know, we get to drive, but those overpopulated Asians don't or something. Yeah, I mean, here's my kind of like cynical take that's developing now is exactly as like, it was cool to not drive cars and to not care about them when we couldn't afford to care or to have a nice one. Yes. But once you can, (laughs) suddenly your view shifts and you're like, you know what? Nice cars are actually pretty cool and I'm into it now. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Not that I have a nice car. You know, I still like the idea of having, I don't really want a new car. The only reason Mm. I feel tempted is by electronic technology, right? Having an electronic car Mm -hmm. or electric car, as we call them, Mm -hmm. really appeals to me. But, you know, I might have to wait a decade till they're like kind of (laughs) old. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Listening Glass. If you've enjoyed this show, we'd love it if you'd share it with your friends and on social media. Your word of mouth means a lot to us and is a way you can help our humble podcast grow. Find us on our Twitter handle at Listening Glass. You can leave feedback there or by emailing us at listeningglasscast at gmail.com. Join the ongoing discussion in our community by joining our Discord server, linked in our episode description. This episode features the track This in Sitter by Mac Woodruff, the track Dr. Beauchef, Penguin Dentist by Kneebody, and also the track Lipton Service Boy by Eero Johannes. We're incredibly grateful to these artists for letting us feature their work. Find more information about them in the episode description. And as always, many thanks to Sage Liskey and Bryce Kaysen for their vehicular ruminations.